Welcome to the Shortwave Report. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. The Shortwave Report is a 30-minute review of news and opinion heard on the shortwave radio and the internet in Northern California. Listening to international broadcast at home is quite easy. You just need a shortwave radio with a schedule of English language broadcast or a computer or smartphone with an internet connection. To help you with this, I'll announce times, frequencies, and website addresses at the conclusion of each series of stories. At the website for this show, that's outfarpress.com. You can listen to the past five shortwave reports, find advice for listening to shortwave at home, and find internet links for global news sources. Please check it out and tell a friend. In today's edition, you'll hear reports from France 24, Radio Havana, Cuba, and NHK World Radio Japan. We will begin with France 24. For today's show, I prepared several longer interviews as usual. However, when I reviewed the daily press reviews from France 24, I found many insights to the war in Palestine, the climate summit, COP28, and the increasing right-wing ideology. So I have selected nine press reviews that provided me with a lot of information and opinion that expanded my global perspective. We will hear about a far-right jamboree in Italy, some takeaways and opinions on COP28, news and international opinions on Gaza, the revised UK immigration bill, and whether it is healthy to watch war images on TV and in social media. France 24. Far-right parties from across Europe uh, gathered uh, in Florence and Italy over the weekend. What are the papers saying about that? Well, Politico today, Haxi, writes that anti-EU hardliners, uniting, of course, under the Identity and Democracy Group, uh, gathered in that Italian city to kick off the 2024 uh, European elections campaigns. Now, they were galvanized, of course, by the surprise win in late November uh, of Geert Wilders in general elections in the Netherlands. Uh, so they vowed to change the political dynamic in Brussels uh, before some 2,000 supporters, as Politico tells us, with 17 speakers taking to the stage to vote to voice Eurosceptic tropes and other far right talking points to, that, you know, we're relatively accustomed to hearing now. That's criticism of Islam, uh, illegal migration, migration and political uh, correctness. Italian paper La Repubblica uh, described the gathering as a, quote, black parade against Europe, immigrants and the left. Also pointing out that many of Matteo Salvini's, quote, uh, patriotic friends are also essentially calling for Ukraine's surrender to Russia, uh, though the paper does note that Geert Wilders and Marine Le Pen, two far-right heavyweights on the continent, were actually noticeably absent uh, from this gathering. Independent paper here in France, though, Mediapart, uh, does point out or does focus rather on an important French attendee who was there, and that's Marine Le Pen's successor as the president of the far-right National Rally Party, Jordan Bardella. Uh, the paper saying that his presence there alongside uh, his radical allies who had transphobic, conspiracy theory-laced, pro-Russian and ethno-nationalist speeches uh, was essentially a far cry away from the party, the National Rally Party's attempts in recent years to normalize itself, to soften uh, its image. And in some other news, Erin, uh, uh, the COP28 climate summit continues in Dubai. Uh, how it's going, it very much depends on 
who you ask. Yeah, that's right. Uh, some are suggesting that this conference is going quite well. I'll start with the Emirati paper, The National, which focuses on the multi-million dollar pledge uh, towards eradicating neglected tropical diseases in developing countries. Uh, it's kind of bizarre that that's the front page focus on a climate summit, uh, but they are hailing that as a victory. The paper also saying that the summit got off to a rare positive start uh, with a key announcement on that deal to finance loss and damage, which of course involves funding a fund to assist vulnerable nations uh, cope with the effects of climate change. Uh, French paper La Croix, in a surprising kind of editorial twist, if you will, here uh, on its front page, hails pledges and engagements uh, thus far. They hail, of course, that loss and damage deal, saying that it brings hope there uh, to the climate summits. Now, here they go more into detail about what these engagements uh, are worth. Uh, it's, it hails pledges like uh, some 20 countries' objectives to triple nuclear power, uh, to reduce methane emissions and to increase renewable energy, though Lacroix does, of course, acknowledge that all of these pledges, promises don't have the same significance. Some of them are just about starting negotiations, which, of course, won't necessarily need to lead to anything, while others are voluntary agreements with uh, no legal mechanisms for uh, enforcement. The head of the summit, meanwhile, Aaron, sparking some controversy of his own. Yeah, that's because, as The Guardian reports today, uh, the United Arab Emirates' Sultan al-Jaber claimed that there is, quote, no science indicating that phasing out fossil fuels is necessary in order to restrict global temperature increases to 1.5 degrees Celsius. He also said that doing this would not allow for sustainable development unless, I quote, you want to take the world back into caves. Now, he actually made these comments during a live event before the summit in late November, uh, though they were just now picked up uh, by the press. The Guardian also pointing out that Al-Jaber, of course, is the chief executive of the UAE's state oil company, which, of course, uh, many see as a conflict of interest and a barrier then to really being able to pursue meaningful action, at least at this year's uh, climate summit. Now, there are nationwide protests in New Zealand this Tuesday against the new government. There's policies that demonstrators say are racist against Maoris. Uh, Deep tea, tell us more. Well, thousands of people are marching ac across the country today. They're demonstrating against Chris Luxon's centre-right coalition government's policies for Maori people, uh, which, according to some of the press today at least, could signal uh, the beginning of or the, the beginning of clashes over New Zealand's national identity. It comes as the new government, the new parliament was sworn in this Tuesday in its first sitting. You see they're making uh, the front pages of the New Zealand Herald, the anti-Maori policies that have launched street protests. Uh, there's a good explainer in The Guardian today which uh, gives us some uh, sort of background to what, what exactly they're protesting about. Concretely, protesters want the government to scrap plans to review the Treaty of Waitangi, which is New Zealand's 180-year-old founding document that was signed between uh, the Crown and Maori leaders. The government's also announced that they want to dial back the use of Maori language in government organizations and they're planning to scrap uh, the anti-smoking legislation that was hailed when it was first announced as the first in the world to ban smoking to future generations. So uh, one of the government plans to use, as we mentioned, the, the dialing back of Maori language um, 
could affect, for instance, using uh, the English name of ministries instead of Maori names. And this is something that's the focus of the New Zealand Herald's editorial pages today here in its editorial. It, it looks uh, at that uh, discussion note and really argues in favor of keeping both the English and Maori names, uh, saying that having a Maori name does not diminish uh, the English name, uh, and really uh, saying that uh, the Maori uh, identity, the Maori language, is really a part of New Zealand's national identity. French paper Liberation this morning headlines on bombings in Gaza, unprecedented, without limits, and merciless. Uh, who would have thought that the Gaza Strip would resemble emblematic cities like Aleppo or Mariupol, the editorial wonders? And yet Israel's bombing campaign is shaping up to be one of the worst in the 21st century, given its intensity. The paper uh, attributes the devastation in part to Israel's use of artificial intelligence to achieve its stated objective of destroying Hamas. Now, AI is precisely what Mold focuses on there on the left in today's edition, uh, how Israel is using it to identify and strike targets, no matter how extensive the, quote, collateral damage, as it, as it says. That's a euphemism, obviously, for innocent civilians killed. The software it's been using, rather, is dubbed Habsora, or the gospel, and it basically increases the number of targets for strikes, part of why Israel has hit, hit some 15,000 targets on the territory in the first 35 days of this latest conflict, and that's compared to just five to six thousand max during the first 51 days of its last operation in Gaza in 2014. Experts quoted in the piece saying that this software has essentially turned Gaza into a large-scale experiment for the use of AI uh, in active war zones. And now in a lot of speculation uh, today, the scale of violence we're seeing in Gaza uh, seems to go beyond Israel's stated uh, goal of destroying Hamas. Yeah, that's right. That is the gist of an opinion piece in the British paper The Guardian uh, by a professor of peace studies today. Now, he argues that Israel's approach to war, known as Dahia, the Dahia Doctrine, uh, involves the disproportionate use of force to destroy key infrastructure and the economy, again, no matter how many innocent civilians are, are killed. The piece says that this, doc this doctrine or originated in the 2006 Lebanon war, during which, which saw the destruction of entire villages if they were deemed to be the site of rocket fire, the killing of about a thousand civilians, a third of which uh, were children. Now, again, the goal of this doctrine, and this is according to uh, Israeli research, researchers, is to achieve a sustained deterrent impact. But the editorialist in this piece, Professor Paul Rogers, says that this is doomed to fail, that Hamas will emerge either in different form or simply strengthened. And that's what the Washington Post then, the American paper, focuses on uh, this morning. Uh, it's, it says that uh, Hamas is far from being destroyed, Israel says for now, that it's killed some 5,000 uh, militants since the start of the war. But Hamas's estimated 30,000 strong military wing remains very well intact. And of course, this is all coming at a very heavy price for Palestinians. At least 16,000 killed uh, since the start, including 5,000 children. That, of course, according to uh, Gazan authorities. DT, you're starting with an article in the New York Times. It says Israel had a year's warning of the Hamas attacks back in October. Yeah, that's right, Sharon. According to the Time, New York Times investigation, uh, Israeli uh, officials got hold of Hamas's battle plan for the October 7th terror attacks 
over a year before the attacks happened, uh, but Israeli military and intelligence officials had really dismissed it as aspirational. Uh, in other words, they just never believed that Hamas would be ambitious enough or, uh, to go out, uh, to, or, or it, it, they really believed that the battle plan would be too, simply too difficult for Hamas to carry out. Yet it was carried out, uh, and the New York Times notes that it was carried out with stunning precision to that very battle plan. Uh, furthermore, it also uh, the battle plan also contained highly sensitive information pertaining to uh, the Israeli military forces, raising suspicions about a possible leak from inside Israel's security establishment. And deputy immigration is also at the heart of a number of British papers today over an emergency bill that's being discussed there. Yeah, and this bill really tearing apart politicians. It's making the front pages today. Uh, this uh, immigration bill uh, even uh, prompted the immigration minister, Robert Jenrick, to quit over his deep discord with the bill, uh, which proposes giving ministers powers to disregard sections of the UK's Human Rights Act and European Council for Human Rights when it comes to considering deportation cases. The bill, uh, under previous uh, agreements, would send illegal immigrants to Rwanda, uh, in a in a, uh, a very hotly contested um, agreement with Rwanda that was considered a safe space, according to Jenrick, the the minister, the bill didn't go far enough in tackling the issue, and that was the reason for him deciding to quit his role as immigration minister. And Dipti, the French paper Le Monde uh, today has published an interesting article. Uh, on the moral dilemma uh, about watching the news or indeed not watching the news as the case may be. Yeah, it is indeed a, a moral dilemma, Haxi. Uh, should we continue watching the news despite it being acutely more violent, particularly uh, nowadays uh, with the war uh, in Gaza, the kind of images that we're seeing on a constant basis? Uh, or should we just sort of uh, turn off our news sources and be content, uh, blissfully unaware of, uh, of the major events taking place in the world? It's a question that no doubt a lot of people are asking these days, particularly as uh, we are more and more exposed to very violent images um, through social media. Um, ultimately, the, Le Monde says the most important thing is to sort of sort out what needs your attention and for how long, sort out the important information from the superfluous information. Le Monde admits it's not easy because uh, we are in this sort of cycle where our attention, our indignation, our anger, our empathy are, on constant, are constantly uh, demanded uh, through news sources. And so it is no easy feat to sort of turn it all off, but sometimes it might be uh, the best solution. Those press reviews were from France 24. France 24 may be easily found at their website, france24.com, as well as a YouTube channel called France 24 English. They are also available at most podcast sites, as is the shortwave report. Next, Radio Havana, Cuba. A piece on this week's Belmarsh Tribunal at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C., which is calling for the release of Julian Assange. The president of the International Red Cross said that the level of human suffering in Gaza is intolerable. Iran has critiqued the U.S. for its role in supplying Israel with weapons that are destroying the people and infrastructure in Gaza. Radio Havana, Cuba. On Saturday, December 9, 2023, the Belmarsh Tribunal will return to Washington, D.C. for its most urgent session since its inception in 2020. The court calls for the release of Julian Assange, editor of WikiLeaks, as his possible extradition from the United Kingdom to the United States 
reaches its annulment with his final hearing in the United Kingdom scheduled for early 2024. Pressure is mounting on U.S. authorities to drop charges against Assange for his groundbreaking journalism. U.S. congressmen from both parties are pressuring Attorney General Mary Garland, Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken and President Joe Biden to stop pressuring Assange under the Espionage Act. At the same time, Australian MPs are waging a major bipartisan campaign to demand that the U.S. Department of Justice end its legal campaign against Assange. Since May 2020, Progressive International has led a series of global actions against Julian Assange's extradition to the United States, including the Belmarsh Tribunal which convened parliamentarians and senior public figures in virtual courtroom at George House Westminster in 2021, the People's Forum in New York City 2022, the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. in 2023, and the Great Hall at University of Sydney, Australia 2023. To hear expert testimony on WikiLeaks' contributions to public knowledge and the threat to press freedom posed by the case against Julian Assange. The Washington, D.C. Tribunal, organized by Progressive International in partnership with the Wall Holland Foundation, will be held at the National Press Club, where Assange first premiered the video collateral murder, documenting war crimes committed by the U.S. military in Al-Amin Al-Tanija, Iraq, just miles from the Virginia prison where Assange could be held in the event of extradition. Inspired by the Russell Sartre Tribunals in the Vietnam War, the Belmarsh Tribunal brings together a range of expert witnesses, from constitutional lawyers to acclaimed journalists and human rights advocates, to present evidence of the attacks on press freedom and the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. This is the session of the court. will be heard by journalists Amy Goodman and Brian Green. The president of the International Committee of the Red Cross during a visit to the Gaza Strip said the level of human suffering there is intolerable. The ICRC president highlighted the positive impact of the week-long truce between Hamas and Israel, describing it as a small degree of humanitarian respite and a positive glimpse of humanity. The ICRC helped facilitate the release of many of the hostages released from Gaza under the week-long truce agreement between Israel and Hamas. It has also repeatedly called for the protection of aid workers, civilians, and critical infrastructure. Iran has lambasted the United States for its undeniable role in Israeli war crimes against Palestinians, saying Washington has equipped Tel Aviv with new weapons to carry out atrocities in the genocidal war on Gaza Strip. Speaking at a weekly press conference in Tehran, Prime Ministry spokesman Kassir Kanin said, instead of taking a stance to prevent the calamity, the U.S. has practically sided with the occupying regime, which has killed thousands of Palestinians in order to compensate for its defeat in the war of Gaza. Israel waged the war in Gaza on October 7 after the Palestinian Hamas resistance group carried out Operation Af Aqsa Storm against the occupying entity in retaliation for its intensified atrocities against the Palestinian people. Since the start of that offensive, Tel Aviv regime has killed at least 15,523 Palestinians, mostly women and children, injured 41,316 others, and left 
vast swathes of Gaza in ruins. It has also imposed a complete siege on Gaza, cutting off fuel, electricity, food and water to more than 2 million Palestinians living there. Also in his remarks, the top diplomat warned that action against Iran's interests on security, as well as the country's military advisors in Syria, will not go unanswered. Those reports were from Radio Havana, Cuba. Cuba's website is working well at radiohc.cu, but there's no podcasts. On shortwave, Cuba may be heard from noon to 1 p.m. at 15140. And from 5 p.m. to 11 at either 6,000, 6060, or 9,700. At their website, radio8c.cu, you can stream the English version at noon, Monday through Friday, Pacific Standard Time. If you have questions or comments about the shortwave report or want to support this listener-funded program, contact information is available at outfarpress.com or by writing to Dan Roberts at P.O. Box 1162, Willits, California, 95490. Your support helps the weekly production and distribution of this show, which is distributed without cost to more than 100 radio stations around the world. Many, many thanks to everyone who has ever supported this show. We will conclude with NHK World Radio Japan. The foreign ministers of Australia and France have agreed to boost military cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region, including sharing military facilities and holding joint drills. South Korea has test-fired a solid-fuel rocket, something that it had been restricted from using until 2021. Former Peruvian President Fujimori has been released early from prison where he's serving time for murder and corruption convictions. At the COP28 summit, the Global Carbon Project reported that there will be a record amount of carbon dioxide released from fossil fuels this year and that the Paris Agreement on Limiting Global Temperature will be surpassed by 2030. Venezuela held a referendum on taking back parts of its territory seized by Britain for its former colony, Guiana, in 1899, NHK Japan. The foreign ministers of Australia and France have agreed to boost military cooperation in the Indo-Pacific region. This is seen as a move to restore ties after Canberra scrapped a submarine deal with Paris. They agreed to enhance defense ties through reciprocal access to their military facilities in the region and joint drills amid China's growing maritime presence. Relations between the two countries soured in 2021 after Australia canceled a multi-billion dollar submarine contract with France. Instead, then-Prime Minister Scott Morrison announced Australia would get its first nuclear-powered subs as part of a trilateral security alliance with the U.S. and Britain called AUKUS. South Korea has successfully test-fired a solid-fuel rocket as the country works to improve launch technology and raise monitoring capabilities towards North Korea. South Korea's defense ministry says the successful test was conducted off the southern island of Jeju on Monday and came after two previous tests. The rocket was carrying a small Earth observation satellite developed by a South Korean defense firm. 
South Korea had been subject to restrictions on developing solid fuel rockets based on the guidelines assigned with the United States, but the guidelines were scrapped in 2021. Monday's successful test came a few days after the country launched its first military reconnaissance satellite aboard a rocket of U.S. aerospace company SpaceX. Former Peruvian President Alberto Fujimori has been released from prison. He had been serving a 25-year sentence for murder and other charges. The Constitutional Court ruled on Tuesday in favor of an appeal to restore a previous pardon granted to the 85-year-old. Fujimori was reunited with his family and welcomed by supporters. He served as the first president of Japanese descent in Peru. Fujimori stayed in power until 2000. He was credited with improving the country's economy and security situation, but faced criticism for his heavy-handed rule. Fujimori was also accused of ordering security forces to murder civilians when he was in office during the 1990s. He went into self-imposed exile in Japan in 2000 before flying to Chile in 2005. He was later extradited to Peru and sentenced in 2010. Fujimori received a presidential pardon on health grounds in 2017, but Peru's Supreme Court ruled the decision null and void the following year. He was sent back to prison in 2019. Fujimori suffers from heart disease and other health conditions and has been in and out of hospital in recent years. Researchers project that the amount of global carbon dioxide emissions from fossil fuel use will rise 1.1% this year, marking a record high. The Global Carbon Project released a report on Tuesday at the COP28 climate change conference in Dubai. The group includes researchers from various countries, including Japan. The study's lead author warns leaders should agree to rapid cuts in fossil fuel emissions. He says it looks inevitable that the world will overshoot the temperature increase target set in the Paris Agreement. If we continue emitting CO2 at the rate as we do today, we would cross the 1.5 uh, target in the next seven years on the average with a 50% chance. Representatives from the EU and some island nations at COP28 are calling for phasing out fossil fuel use, but some countries are strongly opposed. Tensions are on the rise in South America following a referendum over the weekend. Venezuela says a majority of voters supported annexing an oil-rich territory controlled by neighboring Guyana. We inform the people of Venezuela of the overwhelming victory of the yes vote. Venezuela's election authorities say more than 95% of voters in Sunday's referendum approved creating a state in Essequibo. The leftist administration of Venezuelan President Nicolas Maduro claims sovereignty over the region, which makes up roughly 70% of Guyana's territory. Venezuela does not acknowledge a decision made by international arbitrators. 
in 1899 that Essequibo is part of Guyana, which was then a British colony. The dispute researched when a massive oil fill was discovered off the region in 2015. Guyana's vice president posted on his Facebook page an interview with a news outlet. He says his country has to be very vigilant. He added, Guyana has been working with its partners so that it can defend itself if necessary. Those reports were from NHK World Radio Japan on shortwave. They are now heard at 9 p.m. at 13735 or on the web at www.3.nhk.or.jp. All the times I announce are for Pacific Standard Time, so please adjust them to your time zone. NHK may also be found at most podcast sites. One of my goals in producing this show is to encourage people like you to listen to international broadcasts, get a global perspective. You will have to look harder these days because of U.S. and EU prohibitions on media. Every Thursday evening, I post a new shortwave report at the website for this show. That's outfarpress.com. At my website, you can also listen to past shows, find information for online support for this show. There's a link at my website along with the podcast link and get advice for listening at home. This shortwave report, which is now in its 27th year of production, remains free to rebroadcast upon notification. For 26 years, the shortwave report has been produced and distributed off the electrical grid in Northern California using solar panels. I'm still recuperating from spinal surgery and staying in a house that is connected to the grid. I'm your host and producer, Dan Roberts. Thanks for listening.